Lunch time. They say Christmas is a wonderful time of year to get away, and frankly, if I were a member of the Raw's A-League squad, I would love a few days off to clear my head, but unfortunately, like family commitments at this time of year, the football comes thick and fast, so here we are on Boxing Day recording another edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It is James Scott and Adam. Scott, you look like you've just been run into yep. the ground. If I sound sleepy than usual today, I apologise for that. Can you just give us a big ho-ho-ho? No. <laughs> Adam, how are you? <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, that's right. Uh, no time off over Christmas for this show as we get ready for another edition on our regular Wednesday recording slot. And yeah, we've got, well, I wish we could say a lot of good stuff to talk about, but unfortunately, at least for segment one, it's a little bit rough going at the moment as the Raw's A-League side continue to sit in ninth place out of 10 on the A-League ladder thanks to a 4-1 loss over the ditch in Wellington in what is, what I say, the least interesting away trip in the A-League. Scott? Yep. Do you remember much from Saturday, or have you shut it all out of your mind? I've really tried hard to forget almost everything about this game, but I still remember too much of it, unfortunately. It wasn't good, was it? No, it wasn't. There was a first-half own goal from Avram Papadopoulos. Enrique leveled literally on the final whistle before the halftime break. And then three second-half goals to David Williams, Roy Krishna, and the man of the moment, Sarpreet Singh, gave Wellington a 4-1 win, and all of a sudden kept them, you know, in contention for a top-four finish. Adam... Give us your thoughts on the game. Well, as I said on the post-game show uh, at at uh, Lions on on Sunday, it which was, feels like an age ago now. It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very disappointing. Um, look, easily, easily the Raw's worst performance of the season so far. I think there's no sugarcoating that. Um, it was just a complete and utter collapse in the second half, and. Yeah, there's big problems. I hate to say it, but um, yeah, something's got to give because it's not good and it can't keep going down this path. I they think, ran out of legs in midfield. It was very, very obvious. Yeah, I think what really, stu- them. what really stood out for me was just the fact that, you know, for all this talk and over-analyzing of the team, you know, top to bottom, trying to find the one problem that needs to be fixed, I think what we're seeing overall is just there's a whole bunch of systematic issues in place that honestly need to probably just be reset and rebuilt from the start. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that means, you know, sack everyone from, you know, the cl- owners of the club all the way down to the, you know, water bottle guy, but it does seem like there's a lot of talent there that isn't being maximised right now out of that playing group, and quite frankly, they need to find a way to get it sorted, because it's the joy of the A-League setup. Finals, believe it or not, are still within reach. <laughs> yeah, look, it's... Um... Funny man, James. Cracking jokes after Christmas. Is that when one of the... Um... Christmas crackers, was it? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Look, that's the thing is, I think I don't. It's very. I could probably speak you know, an hour. Oh, it's own about where where it's going wrong, where where we think we it's did going that wrong. last week. Yeah, look, and um, <laughs> that was that was before this um this calamity. So, yeah, it's just something has something has to give. It's um, yeah, I think as, as Scott said before, I think the, the midfield. I think that's where that if that's the one common thread in this, this four game losing streak is every single time. You know, for the much vaunted midfield that we have, they just continually keep on getting overrun. And look, if you if you lose the midfield, you're not going to win many games, especially yeah. in this league. 
it that, was very yeah. obvious, I said earlier, but I want to credit to Sarpritzian because in the second half, he was dynamic. He Absolutely. was an absolute difference maker. And it was, unfortunately, it was against the Raw, but it was fantastic to watch. I think that's the one thing as well. You know, for all, for all doom and gloom that, you know, of the Raw at the moment, their performances, I think also as we go, as equally give credit to, um, to the Knicks. I think Mark Rodan has really turned it around against all odds. I think we're all sort of, you know, writing him off saying, oh, they're... You know, they're one foot out of the door of the league, but you know, Mark Rudan may have restored hope, not only in the players, but I think the fans, you know, and the and sort of football in general in New Zealand at the moment. Yeah, that James Wellington's here to stay. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> now, we do love listener contributions on this, and quite frankly, it's you know n- nice for people to hear from not just the three of us every so often. And we got this email from James Gray last Saturday, a few hours after the full time whistle, and. I think the way that he summed a lot of this stuff up overall, I'm going to get you a coffee very soon, Scott. I'm think... good. I'm good. <laughs> uh, I think he summed it up really well. So, you know, we appreciate any and all listener contributions. It is brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Um, otherwise, send it in, you know, fa- uh, Facebook, Raw Review, Twitter, at BNE Football. But this is from James. He, uh, his number one issue he identified was legs in midfield, saying, you know, we lack a genuine engine in midfield. Stefan Mork is uh, sorely missed. And... I think the one thing, one line I really agree about here, Mackay is not a 10. Like, he's fine as a makeshift every so often, you know, maybe if you're trying to sit back and play a little bit deeper, but Stefan Morg is being sorely missed. Yeah, I think Matt Mackay has been sort of pushed into that number 10 role this season when he's played because of the presence of Christensen and Lopez. I think to get him into the side, that tends to be the way he's done it. And I agree, I don't think it suits that position. It's going to have to be a case of two of those three in that those defensive positions, or if that's if you want those players in there, I would actually go with younger legs like a Joe Coletti in there, to be honest with you. Well, we've seen Joe Coletti in a couple of youth league games, and he has, you know, he's been that sort of midfield spark that Mackay has been for so much of his career. And look, I think it's safe to say Mackay could still run rings yeah. around a lot of people for 90 minutes, but maybe at A-league level, he doesn't quite have that same top gear he used to. And the yeah. likes of Sarpreet Singh can't be, you know, can actually get by him now. The key you mentioned, we talked about this last week, is legs in midfield. That that trio trio in midfield when they play together does not have enough legs to combat A League opposition these days, unfortunately. And this sort of goes back, you know, as far as April and May, talking about player recruitment. And the thought that did actually pop into my mind watching the likes of Singh running around is how much the Raw possibly uh, I don't want to say regret, but you know would have loved to have completed the signing of the likes of a Danny De Silva or a Jordan O'Doherty, two players who they were both at least linked with in the media. Yeah, look, um, I think as well, I think the one sort of point is that, you know, all this of, you know, having, you know, Christensen and Lopez and Alex Lopez play together is also the sort of the assumption that Stephen Moore could be part of that and he sort of, he counteracts that. Problem is that he has been either suspended or not fit or, and it's just, it's just really, yeah, whacked out balance. I, I look, I agree that, you know, I guess that the triad of, you know, Christensen, Alex Lopez and Mackay playing together, that's got to stop because... Yep. Like yeah, as I said, as, as as James James Gray pointed out, the legs of midfield aren't there, and that and those three, it's aging legs, and yeah, you need that that sort of spark. So yeah, Coletti, more come in, you know, two of those three, you know, perhaps you know might might at least you know sort of alleviate some of the problems. You add in the wide guys, or like it was Mickelson on Enrique on Saturday, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's again those two players don't add a lot in leg speed either. And these that's days. and that's also what we're seeing as well. Like as pointed out, I think it was two weeks ago, Mickelson defensively isn't getting back the way that perhaps someone you know one of his predecessors might have. Absolutely. Um, speaking of the front, though, this is James's second point, James Gray, so he might actually know what he's talking about more than me. Um, we'll get him in his post one week. <laughs> Next time you're away. 
Okay, I'll make note of that as my wife sits there and just laughs no, no, at no, us. No planning holidays. This is when next time you're away, we'll get him in. Oh, okay, good to know. <laughs> um, yeah, Adam Taggart's finding himself isolated. Stefan Mork again would help with this, but there is a little bit too much space between defence and attack. And yeah, Taggart. Yeah, uh, this is another phrase. Yeah, we like pace up front. Taggart is not fast. Mickelson is not fast and not fit enough. And Enrique is slower yeah. as well. Like, it seems like a lot of the pace that. A lot of the guys you might have been counting on to provide pace yeah. just either can't or won't yeah. provide that. It's interesting when he talks about Taggart's eyesight. Remember when Bruce was eyesight and used to drop deep and then get frustrated? Yeah, because... The be same get... is happening with Taggart, except he's not getting frustrated. He's being isolated and having to drop deeper and deeper to get on the ball. And yeah. When he does and he lays it off to somebody, there's nobody to hit further forward because there's no one there. Yeah. There's not enough bodies in the front third at the moment. And it still comes back to me, the fact that they haven't ever fully replaced the likes of Brandon Borello, who had that pace to get up and down the wing. Yeah, look, I think that's where it's sort of, you know, this extremely lacking is that, you know, um, sort of Mickelson's probably hasn't worked out as well as we, we would have liked um, down that wing. Because I said, the, the whole game plan of bombing everything into Tagger, I think, I think coaches opposition coaches have worked it out. And I think at the moment, it's shut down target over on the midfield, three points in the bank at the moment. I think that's that's the, that's the counter sort of um, uh, on how you play the role at the moment. It's starting to look like Newcastle Jets here when Taggart won the golden boot for them and they were nowhere near the finals. When yeah. it was Taggart and then what else? When teams started to shut him down, there was no other threat. It's yeah. looking quite similar at the moment, unfortunately. And it's a similar story in defence as well. You know, Luke Devere and Avram Papadopoulos... James says would be a very good pairing, except they lack the pace. And we've seen Devere in the youth league, well, two out of the last three games yeah. as well. And I, I get that he's able to compete with it, and he's been solid in the yep. youth league. I think you know, solid, unspectacular. He's handling those sorts of games the way you would expect someone who's played for the Socceroos to be able to handle a 17-year-old striker. Look, I think, you know, I think the whole sort of assessments on Luke Devere playing in youth league. Yeah, look, you'd expect him to be able to be competent. But using the word superb or oh, he's had a brilliant game, you know, you know what? It's it's Aaron Reardon yeah. who's been the strong force in that. You know, and look at the end of the day, um, it is it is a ginormous step up from from you know handling you know youth league attacks up to you know up to the A League. And look, I just think yeah, if there's got to be a reason why Luke Devere um, is not. Is not sort of even in, in contention or even thought of being contention for the A-League squad at the moment. And, yeah, like, he's not dominating. He's not doing so much yeah. that, you know, it's almost like nothing's getting through. So He's getting by on his positioning. Yeah. His experience, yeah. his positioning is what's getting him yep. through in the use games for me. But the question that, you know, we still would love to have the answer to is, is Luke Devere not being considered for the A-League by performance or fitness? Because I honestly feel like with the fact that the Roar of in the A-League have let in eight goals in the last two games. If Luke Devere isn't at least being considered for a spot on the bench, then to, and he's healthy, then to me that is negligible. I think it's well, got to be a wild yeah. card. Sorry, I didn't jump in. Yeah. I think sort of now the thought should be, yeah, that, you know, because there are, like we've, we've seen, you know, the combination of Papadopoulos and Bowles League goals, mm-hmm. now we've seen Papadopoulos and Pepper goals. You may have to go down that path or at least consider Aaron Reardon. But um, yeah, look, well, he's played two ninety minutes in the last couple of weeks, so I don't think it's a fitness issue. Unless he is working his way back yeah. from injury, which again yeah. we don't know because we haven't seen anything listed. Well, he hasn't been listed on any of the lists all season about injury, so yes, we assume he's fit. Uh, I'm just going to suggest that you know some coaches, both at home and abroad, <laughs> might not be totally honest with the injury report. Never. 
Yeah. Like, like I say, we know he's sort of been pretty much been available since yeah. the, um, I think it was the pre-season game in Mackay, I think. was. That's yeah. all the way back in, oh, what was that? that was, May, June, yeah. something like that. Yeah, so, something like that. Either way, the point is, like, there are changes that need to be made. And I suppose the big thing coming out of all of this, though, is the fact that there are, like, there are changes that can be made. Obviously, you've got uh, a long-term injury replacement for Brett Holman who can provide a f- bit more legs in uh, that attacking midfield role and might mean that, you know, one of Mackay or, in my opinion, Mackay or Thomas Christensen can be sent for a little bit of a rest. Yep. And then you can give them yourself a little bit more legs in midfield. Um, yeah. In also, uh, was it Jack Hingett came back in for... For um, Conor O'Toole. Yeah, and Dan Ingham played, yeah. played on the left back. And I should mention as well, I thought Dan Ingham got off to a shocking start for this game, but he did find his feet as the, like the longer it went on, I thought. Yeah. Like, he he played his way into the game. Like I Yeah, it was it was looking very, very dicey uh, very early on. But, yeah, he did he did sell down and sort of, you know, it was much better throughout the game. So you can't really say he was... He had a poor game. He had a poor start, but... No, I think he sort of redeemed himself. He was what? targeted early by mm. Wellington, much the way um, Joe Coletti was targeted by Kashima in the Champions League a couple of years ago. But I thought he came through it very well, though, Danningham. He yeah. ruined the game A couple nicely. of early fouls and then went, oh, hang on, no, this is just another game of football. Yeah. And then, like I said, he's, and again, he's not naturally a left-back. Um, I, I was actually surprised. I thought I thought maybe he would stay on his preferred right side and um, Jack Hinkham went, we've gone left-back. But, yeah, so that sort of, yeah, worked out, you know... Yeah, interestingly in the end. And James Gray's fourth point here, attitude. This is something I actually want to talk about, I suppose, in the context of the game, because we haven't actually really mentioned it all that much. We're skipping the game, aren't we? It didn't happen. Yeah, well, uh, I suppose if you want good and bad attitude moments for me, the good is the fact that they were able to equalise right on the stroke of half-time. It's something that we've uh, questioned a little bit so far this season, the fact that they have shut off from time to time, but... The fact that they were able to finish strong and pull an equaliser out of the first half where they had been getting dominated quite freely it was a good run from Hingert, a great ball, and what was, you know, honestly, a pretty good finish from Enrique. You see, he still, he still got it. Yeah. He, he yeah. still got it. Like, he may not be able to put in a complete 90-minute 90, 90 performance, you know, but look, he's, he's still showing that he can do the, do the right things, you know. Obviously, it was a very well-taken goal. I think it's sort of understated, you know, actually what a good strike it was. Um, and like I said, that, so those flashes of brilliance are what sort of keeps him uh, under contract. But It did come at a time, in about a 10-minute period through all either side of half times when they played their best stuff by a mile, and it came on the back of that, really. There was that goal, there was a chance just before that when Mackay played the ball behind, I think it was Taggart or Enrique. Yeah. And then... Early in the second half, when Taggart was clean through and tripped over, yeah. that's that was about the ten minute spell yeah. where the Raw were on top in the game. The rest they were, yeah, they were chasing second it. best. Unfortunately, yeah, the Wellington sniper did take out Adam Taggart <laughs> as he did. had a chance to put the Raw into the lead. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was frustrating. But then the confidence issue that too. Well, yeah. and that confidence, I feel like it's a reason it finished four yeah. four one instead yeah. of possibly being a two one and. At least giving you something to feel a little bit encouraged about where maybe they could have pushed for, but it just seems like. It, it just reminds me of watching one of those old Arsenal si- sides where they concede a goal and j- their heads just drop. They go, oh, great, we've got to come back from this again. And it's unfortunately like a bit of a byproduct of losing games that maybe you feel like you go into them feeling yeah. like you should yeah. be winning. Yeah, look, I think the whole question about attitude, you know, seen elsewhere, sort of, you know, other sort of commentary that, you know, the, the accusation that, you know, the players don't care or anything like that. Oh, you know, that's... Look, they yeah, do look, care. look, that's, you know, you, you can't... At the end of the day, I'm, there's no one going to try and dignify that response because, look, we don't know what's in these players' heads. But I think all we can say is that, you know, a lot of the sort of, you know, this... 
sort of, I guess, attitude is, is that, you know, it, it comes with confidence or lack thereof. You know, it's where they think in situations, just the rubber green is not going their way. Again, another, not making excuses, another moment, key moment, you know, where the game changes on, if Adam Taggart keeps his feet, fires past Curdo, it's 2-1 yeah. of the raw. And who knows what happens? But, you know, he slipped, heads were dropped, then, you know, like I said... Yeah. David Williams comes on, it changes the game. Sapri Singh starts, you know, running, running wild in midfield, you know, and yeah, it's it's game over. So it's, I think it's I think it's a more bright byproduct of you know losing four straight. And look, it's just and feeling as though, you know, nothing is going right at the moment. They're just they're not. It's just, yeah, I, I don't know if unlucky is the right word, but it just seems that it's not going how they want it. I will just finish off this segment with a you know phrase that I think I just came up with right now. Winning is contagious, but unfortunately losing is epidemic. So one more point before we do go. We have to talk about the last goal on the, the wall thing. I'm, it, it, it's 3-2, yeah. 3-1 and going into the fourth minute of injury time. Okay, it's a bad mistake and I'm sure you'll learn from it. Yeah, been Dylan told about it multiple times. Can we stop, stop bashing the kid up over this, please? It's the, the fourth minute of stopping time when you're down two goals. It's really a pointless one. Unless... They make a second half run and miss out on the finals on goal difference. Three, then three, some, even then, there's still yeah. about ten other goals. Yeah, so exactly. Three, three, it's three really one, meaningless. Three one down. Three one down, and you know one of your up and coming players, you know, goes out with a broken nose, or something like that. It's probably, it's probably not. Uh, it's probably on the same par as going down four one. You know, obviously the kid will learn, but you know, yeah, so I'll leave him alone. You know? If he does that at one all in the ninety fourth minute, I might be more scathing. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I think let's be honest. We've talked about that game for a lot longer than I expected to. Uh, James, thank you for your email and actually helping us have a little bit to talk about from that game. Uh, We're going to take a break right now and then come back with a much, much more pleasant topic, the W League. This is a Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we're back on the Brisbane Football Review. It's time for our W League recap as we continue to digest several Christmas feasts. It's James Scott and Adam here with you, and this should be a much happier segment as we talk about the informed W League I was just side. Thinking the spirits have risen around here, haven't they? No, that's Riff. just the vodka. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, spirits. Yeah. Anyway, yes, uh, it was you know almost a week ago, but we should probably touch on the fact that the Raw W League side beat the Wanderers three-one out at Redcliffe last Thursday night, and what was I'd say quite a fun night out there, Adam. It was. I'm um, always always liking up to Redcliffe, um, even though Says I'm on the north side. I like it, oh, and I'm, yeah. on a, I'm down here on the south side, and I love going out to Redcliffe. It is beautiful up there. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, look, uh, Thursday night, um, look, decent decent crowd uh, for a thir- for a Thursday night as well. I think 2,400, give or take. Uh, yeah, about that. Um, Approximately. Yeah, it's not but exact. I think also as well. I think from what he heard as well. Um, was that a lot of kids out there, which is you know what you what you want to hear as well. So. So yeah, no, but uh, good night out and a a good result involving a raw team. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it was a little bit of a slow start, and I know, I know, I'll put whatever in the jar, but early on it did look a little bit like a Thursday night NFL game where two teams were on a short turnaround. It Like, it was a little bit slow to start, a little bit scrappy, but then eventually the raw found the extra gear and really started to pull away with it. Absolutely, particularly in the second half when they were challenged after the Wanderers' goal. The last 20, 25 minutes, they really ran over the top of them. Mine. I mean, the second goal helped, but they were already creating more chances at that point in the game, and they were well worth it. In the end, they played some great stuff. 
That's right. So there were two changes in there from the uh, swimming session Sunday afternoon <laughs> at Lions. In came uh, Holly Palmer and India Page Riley for the suspended Katrina Gori and the injured Chi Ubagagu. And close enough. <laughs> and I'll, I'll get the correct pronunciation eventually. Um, yeah, the raw. One thing that really stood out. Actually, no, before we do that, yeah. I'm going to throw to Coach Mel Andretta and the wind out at Redcliffe uh, and get their thoughts on the game. Happy. <laughs> um, relieved. It was, um, yeah, it was a short turnaround. It's been hot, but those players, they're such professionals and they give their all and what a performance to grow that out at the end when it you know, got a bit messy. <laughs> so that was uh, Mel Andretta, very happy with that performance. And Adam, what about you? What was your opinion on it? Yeah, look, um, first of all, take is that, you know, Despite having only one point, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers, I think they're a much better team than what their table position and the scoreline suggests. Like they'll, they'll sort of really, um, like they'll sort of redisciplined in defence. Uh, and and yeah, look, I just think again, it was just crucial chances. That may be where they are lacking. It's just in the big moments, they just they they give they give away sort of you know the. Uh, the, the set piece and the, the inability to defend that, but look, they're they're, they're a lot better than what um, what all suggestions are. But they are they're still probably the the bottom team in the league. Big yeah. takeaway is they um the, the Royal played two games in the last week. They closed six point gap on the Melbourne victory. Other results went their way, obviously, to help them do that. But they went from being a mile off the pace in terms of the premiership race to being right back in the hunt. So uh, they're right they're right there again now. A couple, a couple of points off the top, I think. So, And after a couple of disappointing results early on, we are starting to see that team really come into their own right now. Obviously, I think they used that first couple of weeks, I suppose, to get used to playing with each other once again and you know develop those combinations. And now we're seeing the fruits of that as they sit equal uh, top of the table with Perth and Melbourne victory. I think it's endemic of the way the league is and the way it's structured that uh, unlike the A-League where you have a, you know, a four-month pre-season, a lot, a lot of these, especially the new players, the imports are in here in the ground across the whole league, and it's just a case of which team can get together first are the ones that are going to be successful. And uh, I think I just like to say now that um, that Melon Drought has finally got this 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 raw team so sort of firing all going one direction. Are you okay? What was that? Well, uh, James asked you for your big picture takeaway. You didn't talk about India. We're going to get to the goal. Yeah, we're getting down. We're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a big. I didn't even get to it. It was a big that. picture takeaway. You didn't even get to it. No. I thought you were the president of the fan club. I am, but I'm waiting for our host to get to there. Yeah. You, you, I'll, I'm, <laughs> I'm running this show, all right? <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't bring it up when you said, what's your big picture takeaway? Well, that's... It's surprising to me. Well, I do want to start off yet. So the Raw had quite a, had a, quite a lot of uh, work with set pieces. Overall, yeah. throughout that game, they really did try to pepper the Wanderers goalkeeper with a lot of crosses, a lot of early balls into the box. Really making a have to decide, you know, do I come out for this or do I try and make the save off the header? Yeah. And again, the set pieces have been a strength of the raw for the last 18 months, really, because Claire Polkinghorne scored a couple of headers last year, which in key moments, including... Again, and it's of, just been a general nuisance yeah, set pieces. Including, I think, one against a victory, which got them a crucial three points last year amongst other games. So it's been a constant theme for the raw to get crucial points at key moments in, from set pieces. Yes. Be it corners or free kicks. In the post-game press conference, I actually went and asked uh, Mel about their performance on set pieces. Although I admit, I probably could have phrased the question a little bit better than uh, you've had a lot of luck at set pieces and instead said you've had a lot of success, but I didn't. So here's the answer to that question. Uh, set pieces, we work on, um, if not every session, whether it's throw-ins or, or corners, it's every other session. So um, I don't believe in luck. I think you are in uh, the right position at the right time. And, you know, if it's a referee's call, then it, it might have a bit more to do with luck. But 
in those positions when you work on them so often, um, you know, it's it's um, it's good to see them taking their chances. So yes, so Roy have been very successful at set pieces. I think it's the way that I probably should have phrased that question. But anyway, you know, live yeah, the like Thursday night. Yeah. Exactly. It would have been a long drive for some of us out there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, my drive's just as long. Hey, it's an easier drive now that the freeway's fixed up, but anyway. And empty on a Thursday before yes. Christmas. Uh, yeah, so the Wanderers then equalised via a quick free kick. It did take about three or four goals, uh, three or four goes for Yeomandale to actually get yeah. it in the goal. Had to really work for that. She did have to really work for it, but it was quick, a smart bit of play from the Wanderers, actually, because they weren't really creating a great deal in the game. No. So to a quick free kick like that, it was a good bit of play from them. It was taking the most of their opportunity. Yeah, look, yeah, it's, um, it's sort of a rare occasion where um, the raw defence just completely sort of, you know, went to sleep. And uh, look, they, to, to uh, Wanderers' credit, they actually, you know, made them pay. And that, and it was at um, at one all. It could have gone either way. And thinking, oh, no, what's happened here? Yeah, certainly. All right, so, um, yeah, that was one all. Sorry, I'm just, yep. I completely zoned out there for a second. Like the defence. Yeah. <laughs> harsh. All right. Maybe accurate, but harsh. Anyway. Uh, yeah, the Royal then managed to take the lead again via a corner, and it was, um, Adam, help me out with this, it was India Page Riley. India Page Riley with scoring with a very, very unconventional manner. To... Robbie Slater-esque. Yeah, Just, to... uh, thankfully, she's a lot more popular than Robbie Slater. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, she, she is going to be, and uh, her, her first... Um, Professional goal um, on her 17th birthday. So, well done and happy birthday. Can we start calling this the um, India Page Riley goal now, not the Robbie Slater goal? Yeah. I think yeah. Actually, I first, think so. first and foremost, though, Scott, what were you doing on your 17th birthday? That's a very, very good question. <laughs> that was one of those birthdays, was it? I have no clue. Adam? Oh, God, was that long ago. <laughs> I, I was in high school sitting there going, can I please just hurry up and finish year 12? So, safe to say she's uh, going quite well for someone her age. Yeah, I can guarantee I wasn't playing professional football, I can tell you that yeah. much. I might have been on FIFA, that was about <laughs> it. So yeah, Congra- congratulations on that. And uh, then Alira Toby sealed the win after a good cross in from Carson Pickett. It was a great bit of play actually from from Carson Pickett to Alira Toby. And Alira Toby now, now two or three goals in consecutive games now, something like that. Yeah, two, two and two. And, um, Finding some really good form, which is important yeah. for this side to find some other goals other than Nagasato and Abogaku. Getting yeah. goals from other sources is going to be important. Yeah, certainly. And look, oh yeah, it's, it was a good win, you know, coming away with... Uh, all three points and, you know, helping claw back that goal difference yeah. after what was a pretty frustrating performance <laughs> against uh, Sydney FC. And as well, we should probably also mention Yuki, Nag- excuse me, Yuki Nagasato, who was having, you know, didn't really pop up on the score sheet a whole lot, but really did a good job yeah. pulling the strings with probably her other partner in crime, Bogagoo, out. Yes, I got that yeah, right? Yes. Just uh, one, yeah, one quick thing about um, Nagasato is that I was reading on... Uh, on Twitter, oh, apparently dear. some of our esteemed uh, Southern journos were complaining about oh, the lack of the lack of coverage that the Raw have been giving Yuki Nagasato. Well, my my point of this is, you know what? Get out of your bubble down there. Come on up, or wait until she's down there and actually go speak to her. And because there's a reason why, and her English is not great, so so the the phone interview is probably not the most ideal way of doing it, and that comes from a very qualified I hate, source. I hate doing phone interviews. Yep. Yeah, so, look, this whole thing, oh, the club is not um, not doing enough to promote a Japanese World Cup winner is absolute BS. And if just, she... just, just need to know where to look, and I don't think these Southern journals know where to look. I'm pretty sure Yuki's been made available a couple of times yeah. for um, 
media, media op- opportunities. And I think Adam needs to stop reading social media. That's what I took from all of that. Yes, yeah, but Adam how many appearances did she make for Brisbane Strikers? Because that's what's important for that. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> that's the crucial question. Yeah, that's, that's, that's two now. Yeah. Um, yeah. All, all I will say is, yes, if she were a men's player, then she wouldn't be a World Cup winner because, as we know, Japan has never won the men's World Cup. In fact, I think my main memory of Japan at the World Cup was uh, blowing a lead against Australia back in 2006. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Got to remember that day in Kaiserslaut. <laughs> We do. Some of the World Cup memories since then haven't been great for the Socceroos. But anyway, uh, want to close off. Dolphin Stadium is a venue. Scott? Yep. What do you think it's of it? It's a great venue, actually. It's a really good... I think it's, what, 10,000-seat stadium, more or less? Give it's, or take, It's yeah. a great little venue for for games like this. The FFA Cup, it was brilliant in league And I actually think it's, if you're going to put a second team into the South East Queensland area, that's a great spot to put it because the stadium is brilliant. For right. a, um, some small to medium-sized venue, it's... It's really, really good. And if anyone from the Raw is listening, be prepared to be peppered by me for the next few months saying, hey, if you've got an extra uh, A-League home game that you need to take somewhere, go to Dolphin Stadium. And also as well, it's um, it's well supported by, by the region up yeah. there. I know Peninsula Power do do support these games yeah. very heavily as well. And I think the, the attendance is not only for the game last Thursday night, but also the FFA Cup yeah. game. I think that's testament to... Both FFA Cup games. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's that's testament to um, the support that Peninsula Power and just the football community in the Rickliffe Peninsula in general, yeah. sort of how much I love the football. You also look at games that they've held at AJ Kelly Park as well, the Raw pre-season, Youth mm. League, W League games as well always get strong followings in Certainly. that part of the world. Certainly. All right. So tomorrow night, as we're recording, Thursday, the Raw W League are away to Canberra. So all time in Canberra. They've won four, lost four, drawn three. What are we thinking for this game? I'm thinking that this is a really crucial game for the Raw to continue on their momentum. I mean, Canberra has started off quite quite well, a bit of a surprise. They've tailed off a little bit in recent times. I mean, for the Raw here, it's another opportunity to go top of the table, albeit temporarily. I mean, it's a great opportunity. Set the pace at the top of yeah, the table. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for them to continue on their momentum, and that's really what they need to do. If you're looking up the table, Adam, I've actually got it right No, here. no, I'm oh. actually looking up the fixtures. Okay. Yeah, because, yeah, um, yeah just following on to Scott's point about crucial game, um, for the Raw, it's, yeah, look, it is... Ooh, it is huge. It's mu- it is must-win as far as, you know, their, their premiership defence chances go, because um, Friday night, Melbourne... Melbourne Victory and Perth Glory, who are both they're both level with the Raw on top of the ladder, they clash at Amy Park. So that this would be a good opportunity for them to you know to get get bank three points and you know potentially go top of the league, if, especially if they play out a draw. Um, but also as well from Canberra's point of view, a win for them puts them right back in the hunt. So it is um, look, the, the the big crucial games in W League just continue rolling through. The other reason why it's crucial is you've got teams trying to move up the table like Sydney FC, Melbourne City and Canberra United trying to move up the table into the, to the finals and if the Raw start dropping points it could very well be the Raw who drop out of that top four race. Mm. Well, uh, yeah, as quickly as the Raw have yeah. ascended to equal yeah. uh, top of the table a couple of bad weekends yeah. and yeah. they could find themselves way back down there because, what is it? Uh, hang on, let me do some quick maths here. So, six points separate eighth and first. Yep. So, that's where it's really important to keep the good form they've shown so far going and yeah, if they keep scoring three or four goals per game, then that's probably a good start. It also shows you how level the competition has been this year. It's a very even competition, and any team now who puts their foot down and starts putting some, a run of wins together could run away with the Premiership. And also, as well, teams to drop points are also going to find yeah. themselves chasing, you know, and maybe too late as the, as the season progresses. Certainly. All right, that's going to be it for segment two of the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back right after this.
You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to the Brisbane Football Review. We're getting a little bit punchy on Boxing Day right now. It's James Scott and Adam here to get into segment three where we're going to review the NYL. Yeah, but I'm out like Anthony Mundine in a minute, so... (laughs) (laughs) He wants a rematch. (laughs) Yeah, if if we're going back to high school, like take... One at best, and then I'm gone. Rematch, but not bit Suncorp. Anyway, move on. <laughs> move on. Yes, we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah. first of all, we've got another good result for Brisbane Roy, and that was the National Youth League. I'll tell oh. you what, I love that ground announcer at Lions on Sunday. I don't know about you two. Oh, yeah, he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's okay. Yeah. I, still, I, feel, I still think Sue's got it over you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no arguments on that. I don't think I'll be challenging her for anything anytime soon. What was the line you used? The last resort? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Hey, hey, last resort worked for me. Take a look at my wife. <laughs> I was her last resort, not the other way around. That's the joke that I was trying to get to. <laughs> oh, we might, have, we might have our first beating on the show. <laughs> yeah, the, this, this is getting a bit punchy in the studio, yeah. now, isn't it? Welcome to Boxing Day. <laughs> All right. Ow, my face. Anyway, National Youth League. Speaking of um, a couple of quick fire punches, the Raw belted Melbourne Victory Youth Team 6 0. Oh, Daniel Leck. Hey. Yes, we'll get yeah. on to Daniel yeah. Leck very soon, but yeah, it was a first half belting, wasn't it? It really was. I mean, Jerusha and talked about previously how he wanted the team to be ruthless, and they were absolutely ruthless on, on Sunday morning. They could have actually been more, because they also hit the crossbar. It was 6-0 by halftime, and it was they hit the crossbar as well, so... It could have been anything. Yeah, absolutely. It was a really good first half. And speaking of Drew Sherman, let's hear what he had to say after the game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that game's been coming. Um, you know, we speak about making sure that we're uh, good in both boxes, so we keep the clean sheet and we're clinical when we have opportunities to score. Um, and, you know, 15 minutes into the game is dead. You know, if we killed the game, we had the opportunities to do that in previous matches and couldn't quite um, put those chances away. So, yeah, I think this game's been coming and it's probably a marker for just how just how good this, this group of young players is and, um, you know, the ho- high hopes that we do have for them in the future. So that was Drew Sherman. Obviously very happy with the 6-0 first half. And then second half, they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. So we're going to f- focus more on the first 45 minutes because that's where stuff happened. And basically, Adam, they were all over the victory. Look, this was a very, very good performance. It looked like you know the, the senior team evolved as far as you know, the way they were turned, no, they were forcing the victory team to turn out position in their own half and just absolutely clinical. You know, from Oliver Duncan's first goal right through to Merzimiravich's goal late in the half and the hat trick from Daniel Leck in between. It was a very, very imperious effort. They definitely seemed to go out there with a real purpose and a desire to prove something because. Right from the very first whistle, they were all over the victory, and the first goal was in what the third minute of the game. Yep, that just simp- uh, just shows you the intent they went out there with. And the highlights of that game are on the raw social channels. Yep. I'm fairly certain. I think we shared them out as yeah. well. Yes, on ours as well. But yeah, it was yeah a really good performance, and like yeah, Oliver Duncan, right place, right time for that first goal. But obviously, the star of the show is Daniel Lett completing a hat trick in I think it was 16 minutes, and it could have been eight. Yep. Yes, it could have. Were been. it not for that pesky crossbar. Curse that crossbar. Yeah. I thought he broke the crossbar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a you know, really good performance from him. He alternated a little bit between the right and left wing as well, and yeah, was able to take advantage of the chances that were laid out for him. 
the his third goal was just you now you're not you're not going to see a much better goal that at that yeah. level. That's what strike, yeah, long. yeah. That that was just yeah, brilliant. I think it's and that comes from confidence. So look, uh, you'd hope you'd hope that you know obviously you know with all the notoriety being shared out, you know, obviously hopefully those in the senior so the senior coaching staff would have seen that and obviously you, you expect him to obviously feature very soon because I think when you had that sort of confidence. You know, that can you know, obviously translate to a higher level. I think the only thing that is going to harm the case of a Daniel Leck coming into the first team is the fact that there is a little bit of a logjam of not only yeah. like first-team contracted players, but also the young guys who are, I suppose, youth league veterans and guys who should be making that yeah. leap up to the front. Like Obviously, you've got Nick D'Agostino, Dylan Wenzel-Halls, Shannon Brady, yeah. all the guys who are capable of playing out there. And just came into the side recently. Like Shannon Brady only came into the a- the A-League senior side on the weekend against Wellington. So there is a logjam there. Unless you're going to absolutely just drop all the senior players in those wide positions up front and go with the kids and the kids alone, there's a bit of a logjam there. And I will say, Angus, if you're still listening, we will get on Shannon Brady in segment four. Angus was meant to censor his thoughts on Shannon Brady. He never did, so... Yeah, no, Angus, you let us all down. Yep, mm. there goes the uh, propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, overall, I, I think what you can be really happy with with that side as well, though, is obviously no goals in the second half, but... They held on to that clean sheet, and you notice in that sort of youth team football, they can shut off and, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me if that game finished 6-2 or 6-3 with a few late goals to victory, but they really did a good job closing that out. I got a feeling that was would have been the plan. I think, it's, as uh, Drew Sherman said in his interview, it's very hard, I think at any level too, when you're up 6-0 at half-time, it's very, very hard to continue the motivation because obviously you're 6-0 up, Game's over. Yeah. So I, I, re- I reckon that, you know, perhaps he might have said, you know, obviously from his defender's point of view, you know, the, the, beat, the key goal would have been to keep that clean yeah. sheet. And obviously they did, you know, Macklin Freak and, uh, the, and the, back, the back four, obviously they did a, they did a decent job. Because, but really, victory did not offer that much, if, I, if I'm being honest. And one player that, as we mentioned in segment one, is really starting to come through in those youth team games is the captain of the side, Aaron Reardon. And this is what Drew Sherman had to say when we were t- asked him about Possibly first-team opportunities being a motivating factor for a lot of these young players. I think that's that's been a constant motivation for them. You know, it can they get firstly minutes training with the A-League squad, and then um, we've got a lot of boys that do train regularly with the A-League squad. We've actually had 100 sessions since pre-season of our young players playing with the A-League. So that pathway's there. They know that. Then they've had a look at the players that have played in the MYL, your Nick D'Agostino's and your uh, Joe Coletti's and then Shannon Brady's, who, who are getting on planes and going, to, going with the A-League group. Oh, I said to the boys before the game, you know, in the nicest possible way, I don't want them with me. I, I want them to be on planes and, and going to uh, Sydney next week and, and those type of things. And uh, listen, the first team staff look at all of these games and they're, they're, they're looking at what options there are for these young boys. But they also know it's a big jump, it's a big transition to move from youth football into A-League football. And some of those boys aren't ready yet. You know, it's... it's um, and it's no good comparing how they perform in the, the Y League compared to the A League. It's a very big step for them, um, and it's one we're preparing them for in the future. Um, and of course, you know, sometimes opportunities happen sooner rather than later, and, and some boys will put themselves in that, that type of position. So that's Drew Sherman talking about how a lot of these guys, you know, are trying to make the case for themselves to be included in the A League squad. And like right now, you know. Keys, just keep getting uh, minutes in these guys' legs, keep them working going forward, and yeah. obviously eventually, you know, all they can do is just keep playing and winning and 
Well, they are winning. They're what four points to go at the top of the table now. Yeah, that's on, it. After the results of the weekend went pr- went reasonably well for the Raw. I think the um, City versus Adelaide game would have been ideally a draw, but but I think a City win there is probably a better result given that increases the gap slightly. So that's well and truly in their hands now. I, I know I... there's a bye week for the Raw where both those teams could close the gap a little bit, but if they can, can they have control their own destiny at this point. I think the interesting conundrum, I guess, now, I guess, you know, as a club as a whole, sort of the football department, is that, you know, obviously there is there is a trophy at the end of the day on offer for this. And, you know, are they willing to sort of raid, you know, the, the, the best performing players to perhaps fill in for a struggling, you know, senior side or whether they're willing to leave it as is until until final? At least give, you know, at least give the club something to cheer about. Cause, you know, I, I know it's only youth and, you know, it's a very convoluted competition, but still, there is a trophy and there is a... There is a live game on Fox Sports. It has then. value as well for player development to mm. win a trophy as well. Yeah, because, look, you can get into all those uh, junior football debates about, oh, no scoring, no winning, no losing, but these guys are do have to learn to be yeah. competitive, and yeah. it would be great for them to learn how to finish the job yeah. and possibly get a home grand final as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so one other thing I wanted to uh, touch on as well, you know, where all these games are going to be played. If you wonder why the Raw had to put their training base all the way out at Logan, it probably has something to do with the fact that there's uh, a stadium's task force report on Suncorp Stadium and other Queensland government-owned. And or... having read the whole report, it's not worth the paper. It's printed on all the ink it was printed with. Mike and it's absolute garbage, anyway. Yeah, fair enough. It's an absolutely garbage report, but are we really surprised what they came out with? Well, what? It was a government-funded task force saying, please keep using government-funded yeah. stadiums. And get rid of the two non-government-owned stadiums. Weird, that. What a great idea. So the two suggestions were, obviously, you know, put money into redeveloping Suncorp and... No, into renovating Suncorp yep. and the Gabba so that they can produce mm-hmm. more and more tenants. Yep. And uh, Ballymore be redeveloped into a training hub and... What was the other one? QE2 says... Yeah, let's just... They're going to take down the um, grand... The grandstands at either end of QSAC, the um, metal grandstands. Probably should have happened 20 years ago, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one thing I found hilarious was is that um, the um, Suncorp Stadium can hold another anchor tenant, be it another rugby league team, rugby union team, or a league team. I find that hilarious. I think they could. <laughs> no, I think they could totally handle another anchor tenant if they got rid of some of the uh, event bookings. Yeah. Ah, oh, look at it in day. I think. I think this. I think this report sort of is more sort of about you know obviously it, it, it's obviously written by people that you know are not fully engaged and actually understand you know obviously stuff like you know you know ground maintenance and all that. They're, they're thinking dollars and cents. They're looking yeah. at you know key dates. And look, at the end of the day, yeah, you probably could you probably could get another one or two tenants yeah. in there. Problem is well, that is not the quality of the actual surface, which you know for yeah. for football in general is so important to the, to the game. Um, yeah. I think they've, they've missed the mark on that. Well, it actually says capacity exists at Suncorp Stadium for at least one additional new anchor tenant. However, multiple new anchor tenants may impact the high presentation standards of the stadium, such as the quality of the playing surface. Do these people watch games at Suncorp or not? Yeah. Well, high quality playing winter. surface. It's it's no good in winter either. What are you talking about? Uh, actually, it's uh, mediocre at best. Twenty-four, seven, three, sixty-five. Rugby league and rugby union not as reliant yeah. on a you know a pristine yeah, yeah surface, unlike you know unlike football. Particularly in that April May time when there's crossover from the summer and the winter, and the grass is changing, it can be very very awkward. We've seen for grand finals for the Raw multiple occasions now. It's not been the greatest. No, so true. the idea that you can have more tenants at Suncorp Stadium to me is laughable. Yeah. 
I'm at, and there's a point in here uh, included for Adams. Government should let private businesses build if they want. I'm totally in favour of that because I've seen again, like this is just what comes from being a US sports fan. I'm sick of seeing like owners saying holding you know governments to ransom, saying build me a, build me a stadium. So if there is a place that wants to fund their own stadium, why not let them do it? So just before Adam tees off on saying how ridiculous no. it is, I will tell you what the report says. So it says, the stadium's Queensland model single-entity ownership of major sports venues is viewed as the best practice, and other states have made formal moves in recent years to copy that model. Adam, tell them why they're wrong. And this will be yeah. the end of segment three as well, so Adam, <laughs> make it a good one. Yeah, well, look... Um... There, there was sort of a myth, because I, I, I reread the legislation today, and I actually I don't know where, because I've been banging on about oh, the 10,000 cap, but I can't actually find it in the legislation where that references. So it even goes more to the point of, well, if, if a ownership group or an investor wants to build a stadium, why can't they? And look, I, I suppose, in essence, they can, but they're, A, the chances of them getting um, approval yeah. of of land, or, or especially if it's if it's crown land, um, is probably going to be slim to none. If the government get nothing out of it, or they're going to send them out you know, way out west, way out west, south, north, or wherever, where it's where it's inconvenient. Because I think at the end of the day, um, the way Stadiums Queensland the Act works is that it's to favour, it's to favour the, um, the the, the the same Queensland-owned assets. And now for Scott's closing thought. No, I've got two quick points. The other point is there's no need for boutique stadiums at all, but they've agreed to spend $30 million on a boutique venue at Springfield for the Lions and the AFLW. I find that interesting. Yeah, but do we really want to have to travel out to yeah. No, but a, a, a 10,000 boutique stadium in the city would not, for rectangular would not be a bad idea. And the other thing, I forgot what the other thing was, so I'll move on. Okay. <laughs> I well, forgot, I did have another point. Oh, it's about um, A-League expansion. It's not great. If you're looking for expanding into the A-League yeah. in Brisbane at the moment, that's probably the last thing you'd want to see if you're Western Pride, even Brisbane City. But I think if you're talking Western about using Ballymore in particular, then they're saying they should not have Ballymore anymore. It's not great for those bids. But yeah. that's also where Western Pride and possibly an Ipswich NRL bid can hopefully, following on from what Adam was saying, just give them the middle finger and yeah. say, we're building a stadium, deal with it. Yeah, I think as well, at the end of the day, I think someone like Ipswich, I don't, and that's probably what Western Pride would probably, or the Ipswich bid, would probably like more is that obviously there probably wouldn't be that much opposition but the chance of say Brisbane City um, building their own stadium especially if Ballymore goes under redevelopment and as it says in our, our sort of yeah. our reference notes that basically I think the word task force considers the Ballymore venue not more aligned to a training club participation and ministry of hub for, for rugby and compatible sports it's because obviously there's not, not the sort of the public infrastructure like you know transport and whatnot yeah. that's you know that's close and you know compared to Suncorp where basically you've got two major sources of transport that go right to the door um, I don't think it's going to take off you know as far as you know people movement if they'll build a stadium there so the but, one thing I actually agree with him on the report is Ballymore's not a suitable site for a, a professional sporting and, team just in the location it's in yeah, and just one last point. I think as well. I think Brisbane City may they may have to look at you know Suncorp Stadium being at least for the for the small part being bit yeah. tent yeah. share. I think which they not want, but they may have to do that. Absolutely. All right. Look, we could keep going on this for another twenty or so minutes. I we wish could. we could, but my attention span's running out. I need a bit of a break. We'll be back for, with segment four right after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we're back on the Brisbane Football Review for our fourth and final segment on this Boxing Day special. It's James Scott and Adam here. And 
the sun's going down, but festive football continues with, uh, I think Adelaide and the Wanderers are about to kick off. Uh, the old German derby. Yeah, in about yeah. 20, 20, 25 minutes, give or take. Or 45 minutes if the yeah, broadcaster hashtag, gets their way. Hashtag the Summer of Heroes, not to be confused with hashtag League of Heroes. And the Heroes Summer, I think, is the <laughs> yeah, other one. I think so. I, I want to work for that marketing firm that There's was able Heroes to... in the hit and giggle, are you kidding me? Well, yeah. yeah. League of Heroes, apparently. Yeah, the League people in the crowd that uh, pull off the one-handed catches, they're the real heroes. Yeah, watermelon... Hat kid. He's real MVP. Or the people whose day job involves sitting down and watching a lot of that stuff and actually having to pay attention. Unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've got not one, but two A-League matches to cover in segment four because of the way the A-League schedule is set up. Brisbane are actually playing next Wednesday night as well. Yes. So they've got, what is it, Saturday afternoon against Sydney FC out at uh, Win- at Jubilee. It's uh, Jubilee Stadium. Is that what it's technically called? I call it Cogger Oval. Yeah. Yeah, it's Jubilee Stadium. It's St. George Stadium, put it that way. That's what I, yeah, that's what I've been calling it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, out of Jubilee Stadium, and then they've also got in Newcastle again, after yes. a couple of weeks. Yeah. I think they are at Perth. <laughs> yeah, so they're in Newcastle on Wednesday night, so that means uh, our episode next week will be coming to you on Thursday. Yes. Yes, I think I've got all that yeah. sorted out in my head. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, Saturday against Sydney, and we've also got, I suppose, the big question is, what squad changes do you make, Scott? I think Bochak's coming back in. That's one. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. That's happening. I wouldn't be surprised as a change in midfield as well. I'm not sure who it would be, but... It seems like Stefan Mork would be the yeah, logical Stephen option. Stefan Mork, if he's fit and available, would be one. And I would also be bringing into Adam's point Aaron Ridden at central defence. Play him next to Avram Papadopoulos. Yes, he's a young player. But he and Papadopoulos could be a great combination. And Papadopoulos can coach him through those rookie moments that he has. He's obviously... Like highly he, experienced veteran players played international football as well, so he's more than capable of coaching a young player to be in the right positions. And I feel like Papadopoulos was really useful when it came to, I suppose, getting Jacob Pepe used to playing in central yeah. defence as well. Yeah, look, I actually think there might be as many as five changes, because obviously as well, um, you, I, I reckon you'd see Connor Atul back, so... That's just another one. Um, Seth and Mork, Eric Botier. Look, I think there needs to be a, a change in uh, in the central back. So either you know, Aaron Reardon or the more, what I think is going to happen will either be you know maybe Daniel Bowles is back. Um, I think there's going to be a change there. And yeah, I think in that midfield, I think that I don't think the I don't think they can persist with the three that that three um, the three guys who yeah. essentially do that same sort of yeah. role. I think mm. that's I've been trying to work out the best way to describe it is. You remember last year when we spent the first six weeks of the season talking about how Joe Coletti and Matt Mackay didn't work together because they did the same thing? Yep. Yep. It feels a little bit like Alex Lopez is kind of in that similar sort of passer role to, uh, to what Thomas Christensen can do. The other thing is, Lopez had that great first game and he's been pretty good since, but he hasn't hit those heights either. So that's really interesting I for me. I would definitely think Coletti should be in that position. And the other one is the two wingers. But both have come back in for one of them, but I wouldn't be surprised if both Henrik and Mickelson drop out and someone like Shannon Brady or Nick D'Agostino come into that wide area. Probably not Dylan Winslow Halls, but one of those other two get played in that wider area just for more leg speed. It would be good to see, but that's just me. I think what also concerns me as well, what I've been noticing lately, is that Thomas Christensen's been playing a lot more forward. He's not playing that traditional number six, which means that if Alex Lopez is supposed to be that player going forward, who's actually screening the back four? And that's, I think, it's a big issue that now I think, I don't know if Thomas Christensen's going off off script and he's he's decided, oh, I'm going to go show some initiative and try and get forward where he probably should be screening, doing his job and screening that 
the, the uh, two centre-backs or whether that's supposed to be Alex Lopez's job and he's forgetting. But somewhere along the line, you need to have that number six. That's, that's yeah. traditionally... It's a, a little raw... bit of yeah position discipline. Like, yeah. like yeah, It's one thing I always remember about Eric Pardle hmm. as well. Like Every time you know the two full-backs got forward, he was always the first yeah. one yeah. to drop back and help out with the... Extremely defending. disciplined in that role. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's maybe something that... The Raw's the yeah. game plan traditionally has been built on having that number six role in there. And obviously, when we've had success, it is because we've had a strong... Strong six, you know, even Corona, you know, back in previous seasons as well yeah. was and was Christensen even in his first season yeah, in yeah. Brisbane was phenomenal in that role. But I've been noticing, you're noticing lately, he's been getting a lot more forward and forward, and I think he's he's almost selling out his his defenders to try and you know chase the game. But I, I, tr- I don't like, know if that's necessarily his decision or if it's a coaching. Yeah, yeah. Decision, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, know if he's been told that or whether he's doing so. How I don't understand how the midfield dynamics is supposed to work for me. And it's yeah. also, very difficult. Yeah, to yeah top to bottom, I do think like just. Position discipline across the whole side yeah. does need to get better. I think when you've got someone like Milos Ninkovic, who mm. is just a f- phenomenal player when it comes to picking out that sort of stuff, that could really spell danger. I was going to make that point that great you know, minds you think, think alike. Yeah, that you know, you, you think that you know the the midfield sort of of Wellington over could overrun. You know, like I said, you let yeah. you know Ninkovic, you know, Belante and O'Neill. Right, Toby. It, it's, it could get very, very nasty. It's also Alex Bross makes some really clever movements, either from that area or into that area. He's very creative in that area as well. And if there's if they're all struggling in that part of the field, he could also have a big, big impact in this game. Certainly. One thing that they can hold their hat on, though, last time the Raw went down to Sydney, it was a pretty good night. Yes, it was. Yeah, as Scott Process is what yeah, they're doing. Yeah, yes, I was actually at um, Perry Park Come watching that. Yes, we, there were a we few all very were. disappointed people when the last-minute free kick from Brandon O'Neill went over the crossbar. Yeah, that's right. I remember having to rush home during the halftime break to try and catch it. Yes, you did. Home. Yeah, that was fun, and I I did it all legally. I should yeah. point out, but yeah, it was it was a fun night when they went down there. So look, you can't really rule anything out. I'm going to probably be you know tipping Sydney for this game just playing the odds here, and yeah. So the last time the War actually went to Colgar, it was the end of the Thursday's game on beat streak as well. So yeah. we definitely owe them one at, at Colgar, that's for sure. Yeah, that was one of those strange games, because from, like, didn't Broich only get ruled out like an hour before kickoff or something? He, he did, in yeah. my recollection of that game, it was a howling, yeah, it, it was, was a howling suddenly, and I remember Brett Edmonton actually, I think, scoring one Score pretty from much the from corner. the corner. Yes. So that, that, that ended the streak. Yeah, yeah that's right, because I, I remember, I, that was actually on my brother's birthday, and, um, yeah, I was up the coast having a beach, family beach day, and then in the time it took to drive back from, essentially, Malulaba back to where I was at uh, Corinder at the time, so hour and a half, it went from, oh, Thomas Broich is going to rip Sydney apart to, where's Thomas Broich? <laughs> it was not really a great afternoon there, and hopefully uh, they can develop some better memories And also, as well, after that loss, they lost another four games on top of that, so... So, like, which will equal if they don't get a result this weekend. Um, yeah, that's going to so be five Ange straight out. losses. Ange out. <laughs> the longest unbeat. Yeah, the longest losing A League losing streak is on the line here for, in raw yes. history. Yeah. yeah. Th- thankfully, e- they've still got the Mariners, who are going to be at what three ten days without a win by the time they kick off next. God bless Central Coast. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got to top the raw in something, yeah. haven't yeah. they? Anyway, yeah. So there's that game. I. I do agree with you. Like, I would love to see some of the young yeah. players come in, whether it's a Brady, D'Agostino. I yeah. don't think Dylan Wenzel-Halls is going to get that start because yeah. I still like him as that sort of live-wire spark yeah. off the bench. I will say, having said the fact that I would like to see Coletti um, read and maybe from Brady's start, I'm not sure they're going to. If you look at John Ellis' history as manager at Melbourne Heart and at the Raw, it's, 
experience counts for a lot in his eyes. And there's a lot to be said for that, but I do think at this point a lot of people have been calling for youth to get a chance. I definitely think it should. I'm just not 100% convinced they're going to. Absolutely. I would love to see it, but I remain to be convinced. Certainly. And also when you consider the fact that... um, Yeah, I'm not sure you want to make huge changes bringing in four or five young guys. And listen back to segment... Towards the end of segment two, when we had that Drew Sherman quote saying, you know, maybe not all these guys are ready to jump in. But at least now, if you do want to pull one or two players out of that youth league side, you've got... They've got a three-week break, so it's not like you're necessarily harming the fortunes of your youth team here. Yeah, look, I think at at the end of the day, I think it's a case of do you run the risk of getting embarrassed, which will make it five straight losses. But, you know, will, will the fan base be a lot more accepting? It's like, oh, at least you use the kids rather than losing five straight with the same, pretty much the same experienced squad. Like, it's, I think um, John tries to, I think he almost empowers his senior players to say, you know what, you've got us in this hole, dig us out. But I think, you know, it may, I think the, the, um, the train might have left the station on that one because yeah. I think um, something needs to happen. You know, just, just even just a spark. Yeah. And maybe, maybe the, the answer lies in the kids. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't. There's a lot of people calling for a lot of the National Youth League team to play on the back of the 6-0 win. I think that's dangerous well, because they do play and then they happen to lose badly. That can be demoralising as well. So I think you've got to pick yeah. and choose the right players at the right moment. And that's a big part of it. I'm not, I'm not convinced a lot of them are ready. But I think definitely, if you're going to bring someone in, Daniel Leck and Aaron Reardon for yeah. two, who played on Sunday, they're more than capable of stepping up. Certainly. And also, just looking at this from a big picture, I think we've done an unofficial calculation. And as far as we're aware, there are, what, 18 A-League players off contract at the end of the season, there or thereabouts? More or less, yeah. yeah. Don't take that number for gospel, but anyway, something teen players supposedly mm-hmm. off contract... A lot of you guys have got to be thinking, you know, whether it's in Brisbane next year or with another A-League side or possibly even an overseas move, they're going to have to start playing better if they want to be employed next year. Yeah, look, that's that's, that's a really relevant point, especially with expansion. And and there is there is a chance that, you know, like I said, and, and the whole reason why, because I know this has been criticism of why have the Raw not started re-signing, is because, well, now that expansion, we know, know where the expansion clubs are going to be for the next two years. I think attention then turns some of these players that you know who are not playing well are disenchanted or jaded at the moment. You know where they're saying, well, you know, on based on their form at the moment, it'd be unlikely that even Western Melbourne or you know Southwest Sydney will pick them up. So it's I think it's also a lot of professional pride that needs to start coming into it for some of these players. And put yourself in raw management's shoes. How many players in that side have? really played well enough to say, yeah, we need to lock these guys yeah. down for the next two to three we years. We'll probably go into that more next week when we have more time, but I think you make an excellent point. It's a great, it's a very difficult time. How, as a player, I mean, yes, there's more opportunities with the A-League expanding, but you've seen players stepping up from the NPL and doing a really, really good job, and more and more teams are going to start looking at that, perhaps, instead of just recycling players around the A-League, we'll look for a fresher face who hasn't been in the league before, for, who deserves an opportunity, because it's being rewarded all around the league. You can think of countless examples of it. So it's a very interesting point when you make up, you bring up. Yeah, who'd have thought? Yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Bring it off the cuff, well done. Certainly. <laughs> and yeah, the round, next round uh, get match is in Newcastle Wednesday night. And obviously we can only do so much, you know, 168 yeah. hours in advance. But mm-hmm. Newcastle have won the last four games between these sides. Brisbane have won just one of the last seven. Mm-hmm. So they've got, to, yeah. they've got to get something out of this trip. If they come away with two yeah. points from these two games, I'll be happy. Yeah, look, oh, I actually think the bar needs to be, you know, three. I think, yep. you know, I think, you know, 
if they don't get anything out of Sydney, which we we're not we're not hopeful, yeah. it, it's it is must win. You know, McDonald Jones Stadium next Wednesday night because you know Newcastle aren't going fantastic. They're going all right. Yeah. I think they're starting to Ernie Merrick's starting to rock the ship there after sort of a, a rocky yeah. start, but. It's got to get to the... If, if they lose to Sydney on Saturday, they, they must win. Can we get uh, Jamie Young a cricket batsman helmet for when Roy O'Donovan's charging in for a free kick? Yes, we can. <laughs> but also for the... it's Adam's right, because Newcastle aren't going great, but they're going to be around that sixth-place marker. And if they start getting further and further clear, that's more and more ground you've got to claw back. Yeah. And we're starting to approach the halfway mark almost now. After this Sydney-Newcastle game, you're getting towards the halfway mark. You've got to start making a move up the table if you're going to. That's it. All right, we're going to leave that final thought there with you, Scott. Adam, thank you very much for joining us yeah, this afternoon. Yeah. Scott? Yes, thank you, James, Adam, and yeah. Happy New Year to all our listeners. That's yes, right. we'll be back in uh, a week, which will also have the calendar reading 2019. So enjoy New Year's Eve Monday night. We hope that the Raw can uh, kickstart a very profitable 2019 with a win down in Newcastle. Um, yeah, always hoping for the best. Good luck to the W League side tomorrow night as well. Yep. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the Brisbane Football Review for 2018. We'll be back next week.